Hey everyone, it's Rob from Aravipa, and we're back again with another Coca Dona 250 post race interview. Today, we're going to be talking to Flagstaff, Arizona's very own Dawn Greenwald. Dawn took second place at Cocodona, and she absolutely had a blast doing it. It seemed whenever we talked to Dawn during the live stream coverage, she just had a smile on her face and was in good spirits. And kind of surprisingly, despite her really extensive running background, she had never run more than 80 miles before in one go. So she went into Cocodona with pretty much uh, no strategy, no specific plan on what to do, especially in the overnight section. So we get into all of that. And of course, we break down her race day by day. So let's just get right into it. Here is our post-race conversation with Dawn Greenwald. So Dawn, before we jump into all things Cocodona, I'd love to have you tell us a little bit about yourself, both inside and outside of running. You're based in Flagstaff, Arizona, right? Right. I live in Flagstaff. Um, so, yeah, I get to run a lot of the, or obviously I get to run the trails out here up at the elevation, which I think is amazing for running. Um, I work at the hospital. I'm a nurse up at the hospital, so do that. And I work like a 6.30 to 7 shift. So a lot of times when I need to get my runs in, I have to wake up at some crazy hour, like 3 a.m., and my Strava friends are like, what are you doing out at 3.30 a.m. in the morning running before work? So I do that um, to just get the training in, you know. But in the dark, in the cold, in the snow, it's I feel so fortunate to just be able to run anyway So or just be outside. So I love that. Um, I have two kiddos. They're teenagers. Uh, and they, they're active as well. And then, of course, my husband who loves to support me in racing and running. Just He loves just the healthy aspect of running. So that's basically me. I love being outside. And running is the perfect way for me to get outside and enjoy that. Oh, yeah. And I have a couple dogs. So I have a little running dog who's crazy. And he loves to be out on the trails with me. So it gets me out sometimes as well in those 3 o'clock morning runs. <laughs> what kind of dogs do you have? Two boxers. Yeah. Oh, boxers are awesome. Yeah. And they do well in the altitude? Oh, yeah. Definitely up here in the cooler temperatures, I guess, is more more something that affects them. So if it's warmer, they, I guess, because their their nasal passages are shrunk, they're just smashed in that they don't deal with the, the heat as well. So they love running in the cool. So this climate is awesome for them. Yeah, there's nothing like a trail dog, right? So tell us about your running background. You actually have a really diverse skill set. You've got a lot of speed, but again, you've also just absolutely crushed a 250 mile race. So what, like, when did you get started and, you know, kind of tell us how it all evolved to get you to Cocodona. Thanks. Yeah, it was my running. So, um, yeah, I started running from a young age, really, uh, in school, you know, you do your field day mile. And then uh, I was recognized for just doing the field day mile, really. And from that point on, I was kind of recruited into the um, of the running team in high school. So uh, competed up here in Flagstaff. I was at, went to Flagstaff High School and 
did, you know, uh, track and cross country, long distance, but also helped with like the 400s and things. So had a little speed under me as well, um, but also enjoyed the longer distances. Um, did that, graduated and went to NAU for on scholarship to run. So I ran it in college, ran at Yavapai College as well in Prescott. So I did get some time in Prescott running down there on those trails. So that probably helped a little bit during the race as well. Um, and finished that when I came and then came back up to Flagstaff, was a competitive marathoner on the roads. So did uh, just tried to qualify for Olympic trials, right? So qualified for Olympic trials, did that in 2008 and just realized that the roads, it was amazing doing that and competing in that field. But I just really loved the trails. And even when I was training for the uh, marathons, I was still running on trails. So from there, decided that trails was something that I loved more. I just enjoyed being on the trails instead of on the roads and just continued from there. It grew to doing a little longer distances, tried a couple. um, Well, I tried actually when I was doing marathon training to go back a little, I tried the 50 mile or did the 50 mile man against horse race up Mingus mountain 10 years ago or something and won that, which was super cool experience running with the horses. Wow. Yeah. The trails are just so amazing. So did that. And then, then started lengthening out my runs and actually did the, uh, Babbitt's backyard last man standing up here in Flagstaff in 2020 Ended up um, winning that in 80 miles. And that was my, or 79.9 or 79.8 miles. That was my last, the longest race I had done prior to the, the Cocodona 250. I had signed up for a couple hundreds, but they kept getting canceled. So then um, just submitted the resume and, and crossed my fingers, try to get into Cocodona 250. Ended up getting in, which I'm super excited about. And yeah, did the Cocodona 250 just really with my focus of just finishing the race because I had no idea on anything, body, sleep, anything, the distance. So my main focus was just finishing the race and everything on top of that was a cherry on top, you know, this is super fortunate. (laughs) Wow. That's just incredible. The fact that your longest race prior to Cocodona was about 80 miles and then going into Cocodona, you really didn't have much experience or, or of a strategy with all the things outside of running that you need to factor in for a race of that distance. That's just simply incredible. Yeah. When when I saw this race posted online and I saw that it started from Black Canyon City and ran to Flagstaff on trails, I just right away signed up. I'm like, I've got to do this race. It looks amazing. Just to know how, how to traverse trails and forest roads from Black Canyon to Flagstaff. How amazing. So yeah, that's kind of what got me into that. <laughs> I don't know. I've always been one to just jump into things. So so before we break down Cocodona day by day, I've got to ask, do you think that going into a race like this with limited to no 200 plus mile experience, like you've mentioned, was more of a benefit than a disadvantage? I've got to wonder if going in with less of a of a concrete plan based on maybe previous experience had to help because and I think we all know in life and in ultras you know if you go in with too much of a plan and you can get attached to it 
it can definitely add a lot of challenges when things go haywire, as they do in 200-plus-mile races. Right. I think that definitely does help put me at a little advantage in a way because I wasn't out there trying to push from the beginning. If I, um, because I just wanted to finish, I kind of made sure I was taking it easy. I was listening to my body, making sure I didn't feel like I was pushing and breathing hard initially in the beginning. Um, so just, yeah, just taking my time initially being smart because I knew it was just such a long race and I had nothing, no idea what to expect that I just really wanted to make sure I was relaxing, especially in the beginning and just try not to exert myself too much. So I think that's an advantage because now after doing this race, I'm already thinking, Oh man, I wonder how I can speed up or do this and that. But I see some other racers during the race. I feel like, um, they had higher expectations maybe for their finish. And I noticed that they were kind of pushing in the very beginning. And I don't know that it paid off in the end, you know? So I feel like just having that and just thinking of only finishing the race did help me to have such a good finish, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Because as we were watching it unfold on the live stream from the studio, to see the variety of runners out there and the groups of, of runners that how they were being affected day by day. We had people that had run 200 milers before, people that have really made a name for themselves by running fast 100 milers. And then we had like FKT, long trail, like through hikers. There was such a variety of runners out there. And of course, that led to a variety of different strategies. So it makes complete sense that kind of going in and focusing on just like finishing strong and running your own race, like tends to be a great way to go in, in a lot of these races. So that was really cool to hear that that's, really what your approach looked like uh, going into your first 250-plus-mile uh, race. So let's now break it down day by day, starting with that incredibly tough, potentially the toughest part. At least that's what it looked like from from the viewer's perspective. There was a lot of carnage in the opening 50-55K, you know, that from the start line going up to Lane Mountain, uh, you basically only had one aid station between then and it got super hot and it was pretty rugged very remote so talk to us about that experience there was roughly 10,000 feet of vertical gain and 33 miles to get to well really 37 miles before you got to a proper aid station at crown king uh, but it, you're pretty much climbing straight up for the first 33 miles up to lane mountain before you dip down and take a roughly three and a half, four mile run down to Crown King Saloon. So tell us about that first section. Yeah. So initially in the beginning of the race, I was, I, um, uh, grabbed onto a group of people that, and we were just chatting and taking our time and Pam Reed was actually one of them. She was super sweet and so experienced in ultra running. So I was hanging with her and a little group of, um, people with the first timer 200 milers, um, as well, but they had done hundreds. So we just were in a little pack taking our time and talking and just keeping the mind busy. Um, that was for that first 11 miles. And then when we hit that aid station it was a Cottonwood Creek, uh, we knew that that would be that first 22 mile 
section with no water aid. So filled up there. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking we, since we had started early at 5 AM to try to get up to that, up that, uh, 22 mile section, hopefully before the really hot midday sun, which is like three. I think. Uh, and we were, I was just going along and, um, no, enjoying the scenery because I took some pictures of flowers and things, just trying to stay relaxed, making sure to get plenty of fluid in. Of course, I had filled up the three, a little over three liters, probably 3,200 cc's of fluid and continued up that, the mountain, noticing it was warming up, um, probably about midway or, or so into that section. Uh, I had uh, started running with Jose Sosa and he was talking constantly. It was, he was great, a great person to occupy the mind. Um, and we had mentioned the water situation that noticing that we were running low on water already. And, uh, from that point I was nervous noticing people were kind of sitting under trees and asking them, Hey, are you okay? And they're like, we're fine. And, um, Jose started, he was started walking and I'm like, I gotta, you know, I gotta go. Um, so I just kept going cause I was worried if I started walking in that section or hiking or anything that the water was going to run out. So then, um, just kind of watching the competitors as I was going through, I did, there were a couple people sitting down in shade, um, but didn't need any assistance. They were, they seemed like they were fine with water. They didn't need any of my water. And, um, I kept going through that, that section, um, and was going through my head. Maybe I should conserve my water and not drink as much because I didn't want to run out of water. But then, uh, but then I was fighting that, like, if you don't drink enough water, am I going to start getting tired? And so I just had this little struggle for a moment and then just decided I was just going to drink how I needed, try to and just finish my water and then just run out when it happened and just try to get to that aid station at Lane Mountain as quick as possible. So it was about four miles out when I ran out of water. Um, and at that point, thank goodness, the trees, we started to get a little coverage and shade up in there. Um, so that was helpful. Uh, and then I just, you know, kept plugging along, trying to get to the in, the top. And then I ran into was Noah up there that he had like three or four liters of water or liters, three or four gallons of water, just sitting in his chair for all of us. Cause I, at that point, I think he caught wind that everyone was running out of water. <laughs> so he ended up giving like, giving me like 500 cc's of water and I would just chugged it. Cause I was, I knew I was like a liter low um, in my system. I didn't, I wasn't feeling the effect yet, but I was thirsty. So I knew that was a problem. So I just drank that 500 cc's really fast and then took off to the main aid station and then got there, um, at Lane Mountain and drank another liter right away. And then just filled up all my, all my, um, my bladder and things again, and just continued on that point. Yeah. There were multiple water drops when we got word in the studio that, Every a few hours or so, we, we would hear that there was another several gallons of water making its way uh, just below Lane Mountain to help runners get to that second aid station. So I wouldn't be surprised if they add water drops or maybe another aid station between those two sections next year. So moving forward a bit, after Lane Mountain, of course, you went to the Crown King Saloon aid station at mile 37. 
and then continued on down Senator Highway toward Battle Flat. So I would imagine around that time, uh, we're getting close to sunset. So tell us a bit about how that first night was or going into that first night and what it was like overnight. So Battle Flat, I had the time on there. It looked like I got into Battle Flat at like 6 p.m. So I was like 50 mi- 52 miles in. Um, it was probably still daylight at that point, but the sun did start going down. So I hit that Kipka, Camp Kipka station at 1030. So, um, those, yeah, so crown King, and then it was mostly like forest service road climbing and things. Um, just same thing, feeling great. I was, I was excited about the temperature dropping, rearing the trees, which was nice. And of course being in Flagstaff, I love the cooler temperatures and getting out of that heat was amazing. So it felt really great um, going through on those mountain roads too. Um, at, we were off of the the, the rocky loose section there with lane, in the Lane Mountain Bradshaw Mountain area, so that was nice. Um, just kind of kept flowing through till I hit Camp Kipka. Um, once I hit Camp Kipka, it was windy and chilly up there. So we had come in, or I had come into that aid station and sat by the fire. Um, I was still feeling pretty good. Uh, nothing was really kicking up. That was a problem. Like my feet were fine. My muscles felt good. I didn't feel like excessively tired, even though I had been awake. It was 1030 way past my bedtime, (laughs) but I figured that would be since I was out there running, uh, just in out being out in the wilderness like that. It's, it's feels just makes the get put so much energy into the brain that it just feels so good being out there. So at Camp Kipka, sat down, had some of that potato soup that they had there, which was super good at that point. <laughs> it tastes so warm and good. And um, I think at that we when I was there, Maggie was there, um, and uh, Pete, and who else? There was another. Is it maybe Scott? I think might have been there. There were four of us at that camp with the aide sitting around the fire. Um, and I, I think they were, uh, some of them were just trying to kind of, you know, get some calories in and maybe warm up a little. And, and I was kind of chilly there. So I, I really just wanted to get down out of that because I knew our next section was, uh, was a decrease in elevation. So I figured it'd be co- uh, a little warmer from Kippa. So, so after just spending a little time in there, I wanted to head down and my crew was down at, uh, what is it? Wamatachik, Wamatachik, 71 miles. So that was a motivator to get off that, get out of that aid station a little quicker than, than maybe some other peeps. They were just kind of chilling over there trying to recoup a little bit, I think. Yeah. I actually remember you coming into Camp Kippa aid station to sit down at what became known as the nightly Cocodona campfire every night on the live stream you know, when it got darker and more challenging to get good video, we would have somebody at the aid station or one of the aid stations that had some kind of bonfire and to just watch the runners come in and, and sit down and kind of recoup and take in some of that warm potato soup. So when you came in, you looked really fresh, I believe, and you were in good spirits. So once you left there, tell us a bit about the remainder of your night and early hours of the morning, was there any sleeping at all, any trail naps, or did you just go right 
through to the next sunrise? Uh, no, I just kept going forward. I wasn't sure just being just so mentally in a high on a high note. I, I didn't think I could sleep even if I laid down. So I figured, um, to not even try, I figured it'd be a waste. Of course, some of my crew people though, were saying just lay down for a little bit of time to get off your legs. So actually I did do that a couple times. Um, when did I start doing that in uh Fane ranch? That was a ways out from Wama to chick. But, um, so uh, since I was just so on a high of running still, and it had only been 24 hours ish, well, not uh, around 24 hours, I guess like 20 hours or so. Um, I just wasn't at a point that I wanted to try to sleep just yet. So, um, so yeah, I picked up my crew at Wama to chick and then we just, I just kept going, um, uh, from that point because yeah, I, like I said, I had no idea what to do with sleeping. So I just was just trying to listen to my body and just try to figure out what, what I might need to do, you know, and my muscles and just everything with my body. I was feeling fine. I mean, I was feeling good. I'm sure I was fatigued in some way, but like my muscles were fine and I was getting the nutrition in and the hydration in. So why not just keep going? Right. <laughs> well, it seemed to definitely work well for you. I mean, the next time we saw you, you were coming out of the aid station hut at Mingus Mountain around mile 113-ish, and you had a pacer with you. Did you pick up a pacer before that point as well? I did. Yeah, I picked up a pacer, uh, my pacer Eric True at Wama, Wama to Chick at 71 miles, and he ran with me until the Fane Ranch with Angie. And I that was super hot exposed section there. Um, um, so when I was at the Fane Ranch area, that spot I did lay down cause I was, it was warm and you're just really exposed. I think it was like 1040. Um, still, that was kind of still early, but wow, it, it felt warm out there. I don't know if it's cause I was up for 24 hours. I just wasn't coping as well with the heat because the initial heat of the, the, um, race, I didn't seem to bother me as much, but in the Bain ranch section, I noticed the heat for sure on that. I don't even know what the temperature was out there, 70 maybe. And I was suffering a little bit. So that's, that could, that's pretty funny in a way. Think about it. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, even if it was just 70, it's that Southwestern sun, as you know, it's so intense and it can just really, really beat down on you when you, wouldn't expect it based on what the temperature is reading. So the heat really got people and that Fane Ranch section was definitely one of the areas that was affecting so many runners that were coming through during the daylight hours. Yeah. That farm, that huge ranch, just no trees at all, just a bunch of shrubs. And I guess I ran through some, some shrub out there that's kind of like a poison ivy type thing. So my feet, I guess, had a rash on them when I got into the aid or into my crew station. Um, I'm like, what, what is out there? Sumac? I think my crew said sumac or something like that. Oh, poison sumac. You said it looked like that, but it's interesting. Did the rash from the poison sumac or whatever it was affect your race at all? Or did you have to stop to take care of it? Or was it really no big deal? No, my pacer just happened to see it on my feet. She said it makes it 
makes your feet like the top of your feet itch or something, but it, I didn't even notice it. I didn't notice that she just saw the rash on my feet. It was interesting. I don't know. It didn't affect anything. Yeah. <laughs> I was too excited about the Coca Dona 250. <laughs> <laughs> That's good perspective. So tell us about the rest of that day, really from Fane Ranch. Then you had to go up and over Mingus Mountain, which I believe we talked to you or your pacer momentarily when you were coming out of the aid station hut there uh, on the live stream. So again, going down off of Mingus, you are no stranger to that trail since you've done man versus horse, which goes up that way. So talk to us a bit about that section. So, um, Angie, yeah, my pacer Angie Hodges through Fane Ranch. So super hot. Um, we saw antelope out there. Uh, a big antelope, which was run, he was running back and forth on the course, which is super interesting. It's like he was investigating us. It was funny. Um, that, and then we went up Mingus mountain, which was about like one thirty in the, in the or afternoon. And that was nice because we were, there were the trees. So we were in shade in and out of shade, um, rocky terrain, but it was, I love, you know, mountains. So I live in the mountains. I felt really good running, running Mingus. That was fun or run hiking probably at that point. Uh, we went, let's see, that was one thirteen. still in the daytime and then coming down off of Ming Mount, Mingus mountain into Jerome, that was super steep and, um, rocky, uh, single track. I think there was like a little drop off on the one side, right? And it was rocky single track. So that, that was technical coming down there. Um, also it was warm again, <laughs> of course. Uh, but I kept putting on, uh, my, I had a little, uh, handkerchief that I'd fill with ice and put on my back. So that was really helpful throughout the race to keep, just trick my brain. I feel like into thinking it was cooler than it was so I could keep moving forward. <laughs> um, and then into Jerome and Jerome was kind of interesting when we hit it, went into Jerome, of course we saw all the signs telling us to be quiet and, I thought it was funny because one of the locals was on a, like a dirt bike riding, riding the the road that we had just run in on. And it was making so much noise <laughs> and we were like not able to cheer each other on through, through Jerome, but it was, it was nice to be able to go through Jerome. I liked how they had the little Cocodona stickers on the pavement directing us with the arrow. Um, kind of, it was, it was neat seeing that presented um, Cocodona 250. I'm glad that Jerome allowed that for those stickers to be there. It's almost kind of puts a stamp that um, Cocodona was there, uh, which was fun to see. And then once I hit Jerome, it was 7 p.m. So then it started to cool down again, which was great. I picked up my pacer, Neil Weintraub, who's like a race director up here in Flagstaff. And he was super excited to join and that section as well, just a historic town that we, another historic town, another, and it was like another, um, notch on the, on the race, just going into each one of these little towns kind of gave me like a new vitality in a way and excitement for just going to the next stage, you know? So we went into Jerome and then, and then out of Jerome through the old Jerome, it looked like the old Jerome road that they used to probably use how it was raised, like a raised bed. Um, that, what a cool thing to witness going down an old road 
in an old mining town. Yeah, just the history of that was another just made the race so much like just so exciting and put energy into it. You know, you, you remove the, like the boredom of some races. I think you get to see these new things that you wouldn't see normally unless you're out at the coconut at 250. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. That's well said. The history of the towns along this course, it's just amazing. And of course, you know, it mixes that in with pretty remote wilderness areas and the beautifully diverse landscapes. It's definitely something special. Yeah, and the aid station, people at all these aid stations were great. They were so positive, and it, it just seemed like they were so excited to be out there as well. So that was really nice. Yeah, we really do have the best volunteers at our races. So many people came out to volunteer uh, from all over to really get on the course and experience this inaugural year for the Coconona 250. So it was definitely really cool to see all the people out there. Day and night, of course, we had volunteers at the aid stations out there overnight as well. Speaking of which, you were probably entering night number two for yourself at this point. So tell us about that. You were probably in the Cottonwood area at that point, right? Right. Yeah. So Neil, when I ran through the Verde River and when we were in that section too, we um, ran across some javelinas out there. So that was scary because it was dark. And you could just hear him rustling in the shrubs. And I was like, and Neil was trying to get to see if he could see them. And I'm like, oh, Neil, because I couldn't see where they were. And they were rustling around. And, you know, they're blind. And not that it mattered in the dark, but they, I was just worried they were going to come run us down with their tusks or something. But um, there are some javelina down there. So that was, (laughs) that kind of kept us, got us moving. So we went through the Verde River. Um, and that was, it was dark at that point. So I didn't feel like I wanted to go swimming in the Verde river. (laughs) Um, so yeah, just crossed through it. I saw some pictures of people taking dives in there or like just submerging them, their whole selves in there in the midday, which would have probably been amazing. But at that point just went through there and then got to the dead horse, uh, ranch. That was one thirty-five. It was about 10 PM. I think is what I wrote on my thingy. Um, and I picked up my other pacer, Colleen Lingley, and we ran, we were running, I think it was a 10 mile, 10 mile to hit deer pass and about five miles in. So I had been up for maybe 48 hours or so, about five miles in, I started like falling asleep on my feet. I started kind of my eyes, I couldn't keep them open. So I would, um, try to open my eyes and focus and it had, I couldn't, I couldn't focus in enough time for my eyes to shut again. So I was like struggling that last five miles to get to the aid. My, my pacer calling, she's like, yeah, we have five miles to go. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy because I couldn't run at that point because I kept falling off the trail and I was trying not to fall into cactus. And she was trying to keep me out of the spiky trees. It was wild. That, that definitely is a something I can take to my next race and be like 48 hours, maybe a little much to go without sleeping. Um, so then, yeah, just struggled that five miles to get into that next aid station. And then, yeah, deer pass is where I came in. That was about one forty-five, Right. And then I went, I ended up laying down to, to take a nap. I was talking to my pacer. I'm like, how about an hour 
maybe two hours. <laughs> so my plan was to like to do maybe a couple hours max. And I, it was wild. I laid down. You would think after being up, up for 48 hours, your body would be like sleep for eight or sleep for 10 or whatever. But it's, it's like my brain knew I had something to do. So I laid down and slept for a little over an hour and woke up and I just felt rejuvenated, which was interesting to me because of being up. I'm, I usually like my sleep. So being up for 48 hours and only sleeping for an hour and being ready to go again was an interesting perspective for me for sure. But yeah, that's where I slept for the first time, an actual sleeping section. <laughs> At Deer Pass, 145 miles, 145 miles in. What was that? Almost two days. Almost 48 hours in. <laughs> well, I guess at that point, you were getting pretty close to sunrise. Or was it still dark out for you going into what would then be the third day? I think it was still, yeah. When I got up, it was still dark. So I, tra- I changed into some night gear, like tights and things like that, because it was, you know, we're more, um, Northern. So I figured it chill down a little bit. So I put some tights on and, you know, my Kogala light and picked up a different pacer, my other pacer, Kelly test link, which I was really lucky. I had a lot of different pacers. So that, that was kept things new as well. Um, picked her up and then we, yeah, we ran out and it was still dark when we went out initially, but then, yeah, it lighted, it lit up as we were going um, towards Sedona. And it was so beautiful because we were doing a climb and we ended up seeing um, hot air balloons launched into the sky, like right next to us. And I was thinking, man, they probably think we're crazy up here on this mountain running when they're just now coming up. And we're like, we're going up this, we're elevating up on this hill up in Sedona. And um, we saw a plane take off up there and it was it was just beautiful out there in Sedona. It was cool, which was super nice. So I knew Sedona was probably going to be warm like Black Canyon. So I was really excited that we were out getting some miles towards that Sedona section and hopefully get the cooler part of the day knocked off before it really started heating up out there. Yeah, it really did heat up in that section between Deer Pass and Sedona. Did you experience a lot of the heat? I would imagine you got some of it even earlier in the day. Yeah, it wasn't actually too bad yet because I I didn't get to the Sedona Aid until 9. It was 9 a.m. or around 9 a.m. when I got into the Sedona Aid. So it hadn't got it. The temperature was still pretty nice at that point. Um, And I think I was actually still wearing tights. So I changed out into the heat gear again. (laughs) And from Sedona to Huntley Tank, I picked up, um, my other pacer, her name is Janet, um, Bain. I picked her up and we ran that Sedona section, the 161 to Huntley tank and black tank. And that, that section, super warm, same thing. I was thinking, I think I'm just not tolerating the heat as well as I did the first day. I don't know if it was hotter, um, than in black Canyon that day, but it was warm. I just remember running from shade tree to shade tree in Sedona I would just run to the shade and then walk through the shade and then run to the shade and walk to the shade. I'm like, this is hot. Um, and uh, through that, let's see, the, to the Huntley Tank one, that was what uh, like a 13-mile section. I was kind of concerned about running out of water in that area just because it was so warm. And my pacer, too, same thing. So we just tried to conserve and go as... as um, 
uh, as well as we could without exerting too much in the heat. Uh, and then we got to Huntley tank and it was, we just ice and water. And I think that was the forest road service road too, at that point. So we were just the same thing, just super exposed. And then, um, and yeah, so that, and then when we were on that road, there were, uh, sports vehicles out there as well, kicking up dust and, (laughs) That was interesting. Of course, we're going to be out there on those roads with other people using them as well. Um, but just the radiant heat from like the ground and the sun and for hunt from Huntley Tank to Black Tank, it was, yeah, that was a warm section for sure. So just doing that, keeping hydrated and um, making sure to have my iced, I used that ice handkerchief on my back was helpful. Yeah. And that's kind of the final section for the possibility, at least for intense heat. You've got that big climb up Kasner Mountain ahead of you, but you could probably smell home at that point. You know, you're pretty close to the Coconino Plateau. You probably smell the Ponderosas. How did that feel knowing that you were pretty close to uh, your extended backyard at that point? I could almost smell. I could smell home from there. <laughs> like, let's go. Oh my gosh, I got to get going. Um, right, Kasner. The Kasner climb was in the dark. So I just remember, you know, switchbacks going through. We were looking at the horizon from there. It was beautiful. We could see the lights of like Jerome, Camp Birdie, and Sedona. We could see all sections of those lights. That was so pretty being out there. And it was kind of nice being on Kasner in the dark because that probably would have been a super exposed spot as well and really warm. So that I was really fortunate to be up there at that time. Uh, so the switchbacks, we just, we were going through those switchbacks. I had um, picked up a new pacer, Eric, again, he was, um, Eric true was my pacer from earlier that day. And so I had a new fresh pacer again. And I think at that point we had run into the Jesse's Jesse Morton and Jesse Alexander. I think they were hanging out together. And so we all four were kind of back and forth on that little section. So that was nice to having a couple other people to run with, um, but yeah, not kind of knowing where the end was because we couldn't even see the top of the mountain anyway. So we just kept <laughs> plugging along on that switchback road, looking at the lights when we turned to took a turn and the temperature started dropping, which was so nice. We were so excited for the temperature and it got a little, it was a little breezy up there, but yeah, could definitely smell Cocodona or the Coconino um, forest. So that was excited to exciting to be so much closer. Ah. And that was, it was cool. What was that even? That was 195 miles. So when I hit a hundred miles at Fain Ranch, my pacer and I were like, woo, a hundred miles, because that was one of my milestones that I had been trying to make for the last year that wasn't happening. So to be at like almost 200 miles and still feeling, you know, pretty good other than probably some fatigue, of course, and being a little foggy in the, in the head, I'm sure I was. But, um, just to be, yeah, wow. That just another thing, just bringing more energy, you know, and another runner's high throughout the race, just every mile that ticked away and being able to continue to move forward was amazing. Yeah. That had to feel good at that point, getting up to the plateau, but also, you know, as someone who has never, as you said, hadn't yet run a 100 miler and now approaching that 200 mile sign, you know, doing, 200 in, 
you know, less than three days, that had to feel pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was amazing. I just, that probably was another mental thing that, you know, if you're haven't done it, done, if you've done a 200 miler and then you're going to do another 200 miler, that might be something that maybe doesn't give you as much energy, but I was super excited when I was so close to being at 200 and still moving forward. So now that you're up in the Ponderosa Pines at this point on your race, what did night three look like? You didn't have much sleep at this point. You've only had about an hour of sleep. So did you get any more sleep this night? Like what was night three? This has got to be completely unknown territory for you. So how did it go? So when I, when Eric and I were coming up, um, Turkey Butte to Cinder Pit, which was like 195, that was another 10 mile section. This is so funny. About five miles in from Turkey Butte when it was cooling down, we were so excited. And then I had five miles to get to Cinder Pit and I started doing that sleeping thing again, where I just started falling asleep on my feet again. But the one thing I didn't plan on was that temperature dropping so much more at that section because I forgot, I didn't think that I was a day behind because I, well, a day behind on my planning. I thought I would be a day ahead um, at that point of the race. And I thought I would maybe be, you know, on Mount Eldon at that time. So I was ready for it to be cold, but that section up to Cinder Pit, I, it, it had to drop down into the freezing temperatures. Cause I think that was the that was what they were thinking in Flagstaff. It would be like in the 32s or so I could see Eric's breath and I was falling asleep on the trail. And he's like, again, it was like deja vu. It was five miles to the aid station. And I was <laughs> struggling to just, I couldn't run because I was falling asleep. So I was struggling just to stay on my feet. And then he's like, Hey, you want to take a dirt nap for like five minutes or something? I'm like, no, it's too cold. We got to just get to the aid station. <laughs> So he just kept moving and plugging along and it was that forest road in the dark and it just feel, felt like it was almost never ending because, because the terrain didn't change and it was, it was kind of flat for a long, for that last five miles. And, um, that is when I kind of was, I guess, hallucinating a little bit. I, not, I don't know. I, I expected something to happen at some point because for the amount of time that I was going to be out there, but like the trees started looking like figures and things, but I knew that they were trees. I'm like, ah, that's a tree, but man, that's, that's an odd looking tree. And then <laughs> just seeing the terrain on the side of the trail just look like pavers and like a construct. I don't, it was the weirdest thing. It looked like pavers and equipment next to me as I was walking by on the trail. And I'm like, that's not there obviously, but this is funny that I can see that. And we saw those cool Elon Musk, um, lights up in the sky. Oh yeah. The Starlink satellites. Yeah. There were, it was like a string of 20 of them in a row and they kind of bobbed a little in the sky. And we were talking about how that was, I don't know, his satellite or his internet satellite out there. Wow. It was super clear. Yeah. I talked to a few other runners and they said the same thing. They saw the satellites and at that point they didn't know if they were hallucinating. Yeah. <laughs> But they said their pacers uh, confirmed what the, what it was. So it was, yeah, yeah. It's a good thing I had a pacer because <laughs> he's like he was telling me what was going on. So I'm like, all right, okay, yeah, wow, those are that's that's pretty wild seeing all those those lights up in the sky in a row like that. And then um, 
And then I thought I was seeing a, a drone, but I was like, no, they're not flying right now. It's because one of the stars in the sky kept dipping behind trees. And I thought it was flying around because <laughs> I was thinking one of you guys had a drone out there. But I'm like, no, they're not flying them at night. But man, it looks like a drone flying around. But that last, that five mile section seemed to take forever because yeah, I was just super tired. So I went into cinder pit and one of my um, past pacers had a car that warmed up and I just jumped in there and I slept for two hours. I told him waking up in two hours, but I guess I slept at like two Oh five or something and got up on my own again, which is really weird to me, um, being so fatigued. And I got, when I had gotten out of there, I, it was it was such an odd feeling sleeping for two hours. I felt like everyone in the race was gone. Like I felt like I had slept for a day and that everyone had passed me. I just had this weird sinking feeling that I was, (laughs) that I was left in the dust when I was, (laughs) but, um, my, uh, the crew was like, no, everyone's it's, you're in this, everyone's in the same places. And, and, uh, Jamil had just come into the aid station. I guess he had taken, a dirt nap out there for like 15 minutes is what I had heard. And I'm like, Oh, that had to be brutal in the cold, you know? And he was just zoning out in the camp at the campfire. And I'm like, Oh gosh, we all are feeling it right now. The fatigue, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I had that couple hours sleep and then met with my, um, a new pacer again, Neil Weintraub. And he ran, uh, with me from cinder pit. Yeah. Towards Fort Tuthill. And, and as you said, like, I think that that was about four o'clock in the morning or, or no, maybe I got in at four, but, um, as we ran that section towards Fort Hill, I just felt like I was at home. So just another burst of energy and excitement for the whole scenario, just being able to be out there, being able to like run out there and just have that ability, you know, just to even be out there in the first place was just amazing to me. I felt super excited and fortunate and so excited to be back at home on our little duff trails with all the pine needles and the soft trails and the cool air and yeah, being home was nice. It was, it was fun. (laughs) Oh, I bet. And at that point, you're really not far, at least as the crow flies, you're not that far from the finish line in downtown Flagstaff. But of course, you know, from the Fort Todd Hill area, you still have to take the long way home, as as you could say, wander through and around uh, the Walnut Canyon area, and then, of course, that big climb up Eldon. So how are those miles on the way up to Mount Eldon? Well, when we were at Fort Todd Hill, I was only a few miles from home, so I told my crew, I'm like, don't let me go home. <laughs> I'm just going to go to my bed. So um, Fort Todd Hill... Right. And then I picked up a new pacer, David um, Failing, and we ended up going. Yeah, I've run Fort Tuthill so many times and Walnut Canyon, just some regular running. Uh, so r- regular running training all frequently. So we did Fort Tuthill up to Walnut Canyon. I think at that point, Jesse had passed me again. Um, but like I said, I, I was aware of where people were, but I wasn't like super focused on where everyone was. Um, and so I think when we were running in Fort Tile, someone may have told me that Jesse was ahead of me again. Um, so on Walnut Canyon, back to like a single track, single track, a little looser dirt. So softer, uh, still in the trees. So it wasn't hot. It was morning and ran into Jesse, uh, Morton, um, longer, 
Morton. Yeah. Jesse Morton. And she said that she was having a hard time with her leg. I guess she was having some cramping or something on her left leg. So I was just telling her that she looked strong and she was doing great because she was, she was doing awesome, even with all the hard times she might've been having with that leg and stuff. So chatted with her for a bit and then went up the Walnut Canyon section, little climb, but I was, I, I had two hours of sleep. And so I just felt, and I was home. So I felt really excited about things. I was, I was looking at a recording and I, for well, to go backward. So I was feeling like I was going at a pretty good pace, not super fast or anything, but I felt like I was moving pretty well. I looked at some recording and I'm like, wow, I, I look like I'm hardly moving, <laughs> but I felt great when I was going, <laughs> when I was moving forward. So I just felt fluid and I felt like my pace was pretty good. Um, did the Walnut Canyon that got, ended up getting warm again. Um, cause the Walnut Canyon section, even though there are trees, the trail is actually not really at that time of day. It wasn't, it was like 4 PM. So it wasn't really shaded. The sun must've been high or something, but so it was warm. And then did that section picked up, hit, uh, once I hit the Walnut Canyon aid, I had an, my last crew spot and pacer. I picked up, um, Laura Knoll, she was going to run my last 20 miles with me. And we started off from Walnut Canyon. So Walnut Canyon, it ended up going into like a forest road. And we ran that for a little while. Then another single track over to Picture Canyon, which is there's like a water stream through there and a little bridge that we get to go over, which was really pretty. Got a great picture on that section. And then Took the trail, I don't know if it was Old Fat Man's Loop, but over towards Eldon Lookout Climb. Same thing, felt fluid. Just nothing was cramping. My feet were great. I, I think I had some blisters on my heels at that point. Um, but nothing was opening up yet, thank goodness. And we hit the, the climb, and I told my facer, Laura, I'm like, it's like a puzzle. So I was taking my my uh, poles and I was just like, I was trying to, well, I was trying to uh, motivate the, or motivate the trail, like work the trail like a puzzle by putting my poles in between rocks and things like that. And then my feet on them. And it was just like this Tetris almost going up the mountain. And I was, it was what was going on in my brain. So I wasn't even focusing as much on my pace or anything like that, but I was focusing on trying to Tetrisize the the Mount Eldon and get up it as quick as I could. Because at that point, like I said, I wasn't as focused on where the people were, but I was thinking that at any, any little turn that I might see Maggie. So I was going up the trail and I was, I'd look, look down the trail and Mount Eldon and say, Oh, then am I, am I going to catch Maggie? <laughs> Though she was like miles. I think she was done at that point, but I, I was like motor, motoring up Mount Eldon feeling good. I also knew about the time. So I kind of wanted to get up Mount Eldon before it got dark. So I didn't want to, I wanted to see if I could get up there without having to turn on a lamp. And my a pacer actually on her Strava um, made some of her uh, Strava records on that, that climb, which I was like, yeah. So I was <laughs> pushing her a little bit up the hill, which was super cool. Um, and I was like, Tetris, Tetris, and do, 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 do. I ended up getting up to the to the sunset right at sunset. So that was perfect. Um, and yeah, that was amazing. I was super happy about that. Getting up the mountain, not having to navigate in the dark, which was great. 
And then we had to turn our lights on at the sunset section. So I went down that, the snow that was on sunset that I was thinking was going to ha- be hard to navigate because it, I had gone up a couple weeks prior and you had to get on this icy snow and kind of, um, uh, post up on the Aspen trees just to get through the trail. So I was surprised when the trail was actually clear, which was really nice. So I went up that and then we hit that aid station on top of Mount Eldon and everyone, there were, uh, there was, you know, the, the staff up there and they're like, congratulations on second. And I'm all, what you, I can't, I'm not going to get first. What do you mean? <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that was interesting when they said that to me, cause I was, I was like, wait a second, I have a good amount of time to go. I have like 10 miles in, in the whole grand scheme of things of 257 miles, 10 miles isn't that much, but still after those two incidences of trying to fall asleep for the last five miles on the, on the sections. And I was going into aid stations. I still had that fear because what was it? Like I hit the top of Mount Eldon at 8 PM and that's like pre that's like prime bedtime time for me. (laughs) So, so yeah, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I gotta go 10 more miles. It's kind of funny to think of that. I was dreading the last 10 miles, (laughs) but I was worried I was going to fall asleep. Yeah, not going to happen. No way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, at that point, it's pretty much all downhill. And you can probably feel the finish line. But, of course, you've got more than 240 miles on your legs, mind, and body. So, at that point, is it a relatively smooth 10 miles for you? Or was it <laughs> not so much? It was like the worst 10 miler of the whole race. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. <laughs> so funny. Oh man. I don't even know what it was that I was at the top of the mountain and I knew it was, I don't even know. It was like my brain stopped being my friend at that point. It was funny. So my pacer, yeah, she, (laughs) well, it ended up getting, it was really cold on the top and my um, crew thought it was going to be like 50. It's not going to be windy. It's going to be amazing on top. And so they weren't going to give me any cold gear, but I was like, please (laughs) don't, don't make me go out there without cold gear. And I, I like started, I got upset and like cried a little over there. <laughs> Walnut Canyon before coming up Eldon, because they were like, no, it's going to be amazing weather. And I'm like, no, don't make me go out there without cold gear. So they ended up giving me a couple jackets. Thank goodness, because it ended up being so cold on top and super windy. I, I feel like it was like 50 mile an hour gusts. So it probably wasn't that bad, but that's what it felt like when I was up there. Um, perception, right? That's reality. So, um, after coming out of the aid station, I just was, I was super cold and, um, I, I don't even know. It was just, I had hit a different mental, my mind just kind of almost shut down or wanted to be done or something. So I, um, sort I felt like I was tightening up because the cold was making me like, constrict all my muscles. And I was trying to get off the hill and my pacer was like, let's just start jogging. Because at that point I was hiking again. And, uh, she's like, let's start jogging. And I was just, just the first time I had gotten into like a negative mode for the entire race out of all that time was that last 10 miles. And she was like, let's keep going. And it was, I felt so bad for her after the fact, because I'm like, I'm so sorry. I felt like a toddler. It was, 
he would like, let's run. And in my brain, I didn't say anything, but in my brain, I'm like, I'm not going to run. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was super sad. So we just were plugging along and then we hit, um, uh, shoot, what was that trail? Not old. I wanted to say old ham, but that's not it. Um, that last single track down there at the bottom of Mount Eldon, uh, yeah, the Oldham Trail, the part right after you're on Lookout Road and then you go on that Oldham single trail for a bit. Yeah, right. It was dark and the single track, it was single track initially, but then they had done some like trail work or something on it. So it was busted out and uh, not single track. It was uh, um, like a backhoe I had gone through there because I think they did some uh, thinning of the trees or something. So then the trail was... Uh, we were having a hard time following the trail. And I think actually someone got, someone ended up going off trail, Mark, Mark something ended up going off trail in that section. Um, we didn't have a problem with that because we knew it was coming up, but when we were on the trail, it was hard to navigate a little bit at that lower section, being in the dark and the flags and the road kind of the trail kind of being manipulated a little bit. Um, but so yeah, that, we worked our way through that, but I was just in this weird negative space, which is such a bummer because it was, it was feeling so fun the whole time. And I, I think I just shut down or something after I knew, Oh, you're in second place and you just need to finish the race. You know, I don't know. Um, I hit Buffalo park and just that it's like a half mile, I think Buffalo park that straight away. And it just felt so long. <laughs> just, I don't even know why it, that happened, but um, maybe I just needed to go to bed. I was just uh, <laughs> overly tired, but yeah, it was nice to be back into. So we did the, the, um, the Buffalo park section and then coming back into town, I ended up seeing a coworker at the hospital. They were out, out like recording. And I'm like, ah, I just felt so negative and was going down the trail. And then when we hit the, towards the finish and then I was like, yay, you know, so excited. And it came back just being excited being around all the energy of the people at the finish and my crew and being done. It was just unbelievable. So then, then the positive came back again, but I definitely had a good eight mile section of just being super negative, which is so sad for that. But, but that's okay. I guess that's to be expected at some point. At least I could have held, I held off for that amount of time at least. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any apologies are necessary for having negative thoughts at the end of toward the end of a 250 plus mile race, you know, the highs and the lows are all part of it, even if you're that close to the finish line. And I was going to ask if you saw any of your coworkers when you went up and over Hospital Hill. So it looks like, uh, sounds like you did. Yeah, I guess they all, they said that they had been watching me the whole time. And I'm like, I'm so glad that you guys had this live streaming with the spot tracker because it felt like so many people could be involved because a lot of these times, these long races, you know, you see people start and you see people finish. Um, but man, everyone, there's so many people at work that were able to uh, come along with me. And I just felt so happy, like happy and like a re rewarded that they were able to actually venture along for these three or four days, you know, that we were out there. They had so much fun doing that. And it's just like a whole different kind of aspect on a way to watch a race. 
So I, I was so excited that they could come along and then, yeah, they wanted to come out there and cheer me on. But I think I came through at like 11 PM and a lot of them were like, sorry, I had to work the next day. I had to get some sleep. I'm like, <laughs> all right, sleep. That sounds like an amazing thing at that point. Cause it had been like three or four days for me. So, but I was doing something fun. <laughs> I think it's fun. Other people may not think it's so much fun, but I think it was pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, you definitely looked like you were having fun out there. The times that we caught you on the live stream, it, you always had a big smile on your face and seemed to be in good spirits and joking around with your crew and pacers. So after the big finish, being so close to home, how was it for you? Did you just go home, like right to your house after that and kind of crash or did you hang out for a bit? Yeah. So I hung out for a little bit with everyone and did pictures and things. And then, and then that's when the sleep started. Um, I kind of started having that down where I just felt like I needed to go to sleep. And, um, so yeah, I think I, we hung out for maybe like an hour or so, um, downtown. I didn't go anywhere just with the, my crew and the people at the, um, at the race, like, uh, Jimmy, uh, I think Jamil's parents were there and, and just the volunteers and things, just thanking everyone and being grateful that I was able to finish this. So crazy, so wild, but, um, yeah, then went, <laughs> I was hungry and it was 1130 or 12. <laughs> Nothing was open. So I should not even say, but I went to McDonald's to get some food. <laughs> so bad. I don't ever go to McDonald's, the only place open. But anyway, I hardly ate any of it and then came home, got in a bath, like an Epsom salt bath because I didn't even know. I was like, maybe I should soak or something. But then my husband was watching me. He's like, you're falling asleep in the tub. <laughs> Get out of there. So, so yeah, then I just, yeah, went to bed because what else am I going to do? I fall asleep in the tub. That would have been, uh, that would have been bad. I would have, yeah, anyway, <laughs> we won't go there. But um, so crazy. You would think you'd sleep for a day or two, too. But I went to bed at like a little after midnight and I woke up at 6.15 in the morning. I'm like, what am I doing? So back on the routine, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so hardly a few weeks have gone by since the end of the race. How long did it take you to process what you had just done? And really, how is your body feeling? Like, have you fully recovered yet physically, mentally? Yeah. So mentally I've been, I was foggy in for about three days. So I would wake up at the regular time. I would wake up in the morning early, but, um, like halfway through the day, I'd start feeling really just tired and fatigued. But throughout the day, my, my brain just felt cloudy and that didn't clear up until the fourth day. Um, body wise, uh, I feel like I was just, yeah, fatigued, tired. Nothing was extremely sore or anything. I did have, um, a planner, my planner tendon got, was angry, um, is still angry actually, but it became angry over there on that Mingus section, that Mingus downhill from Jerome or Mingus to Jerome. And that kind of got irritated about my muscles were great. Other than being fatigued probably for the last week or so, I still feel a little fatigue in them, but but, um, but yeah, they're great. Um, I'm, I have not run yet just because of the planner tendon. And I really want to be smart because tendons are so frustrating sometimes. So, uh, I haven't done that, but I'm planning to go out on Monday. So it better get better by Monday. Cause that's all I'm giving it. <laughs> so, 
And then it's back on the road and back on the trails. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. So I've got to ask, maybe it's too soon to ask, but are you going to tow the line next year for Cocodona? Is Cocodona 2022 in your future? I totally would like to do it again. I know it's so crazy. You would think after doing it, doing a race like that, you would be like, okay, I'm done. And some people are, but I, it's probably because of how good it felt the whole way for the most part, other than the last 10 miles, of course. But I mean, I'm sure if I was really dying through that race, I might have, might have second thoughts, but I totally want to try to do that race next year and do some different tactics with sleep and aid station timeframes and all of that, you know, and see if I can, what I can do, um, in that amount of time, that would be, that would, I would really love to do that. Be like kind of a statistic or something I like to end, cut some time down and see if I can make it a little more like competitive, you know? Yeah. I'd love to see that. And I, I think a lot of us would, especially now that we know that you essentially went into this race with no strategy, no plan, because it was all so new to you. So it'll be really cool to see you tell the line again next year, if you can make that happen. Yeah. And be smart about it. Right. Because I could go out there say next year, I want to do it again. And I go out there and just blow up because I do everything wrong. So yeah, but it is a beautiful, such a beautiful course. So I hope that nothing changes too drastically from this year to next year, you know? Yeah, no, I hear you. I think despite any changes that may or may have to be made just because, you know, that's the nature of an inaugural year, you're going to find out which areas need to be optimized or what things need to be fixed. I think that no matter what, like the the core of what makes Cocodona so special is the remote and diverse wilderness and landscapes of Arizona coupled with the historic towns. So I think that'll always be the core of Cocodona, regardless of, of any uh, tweaks here and there. So now in this post-Cocodona world for you, <laughs> what does the rest of your year look like as far as your racing calendar goes? Any other big races planned? Um, I definitely want to do a couple hundreds. And after doing the 250, it's kind of funny. I'm like, I'm going to do something shorter, like a hundred. Um, I signed up for the Stagecoach 100, which is our local race here in Black. That's one of the ones I've been trying to do. So I'm going to do that. And then um, there's another, there may be some other hundreds on my radar and stuff, but, um, I was looking at like the Tahoe 200 and things, but it looks like a lot of the, those races right now are going to be full because the, um, 2020 rollover for athletes. So I think staying at that lower distance right now, and then maybe next year, I'll try to do some 200, more 200s, get those in. Yeah, it definitely seems like you've been bitten by the 200-mile ultra-running bug. Yeah. Think you're hooked now, right? <laughs> For sure. It's great. Oh, yeah. Just the amount of terrain and trail and just there were beautiful flowers. We saw, that's another thing, during the race, we saw a huge pot. We had a little group of deer in the middle middle of the dark or in the middle of the night that we shined our light on and their eyes were glowing. It was super spooky, but they were out there. Oh yeah. I actually talked to Stefan Fiendero. He was the runner with the, that wore the Santa hat, the pretty much, yeah, the entire race. <laughs> I talked to him uh, for an episode on this podcast and he said the same thing with 
deers and their glowing eyes at night, except he thought that it was a pack of wolves surrounding him. But uh, <laughs> I guess when you're 200 miles in, your mind can definitely play some crazy tricks on you. But yeah, and of course, we've all heard the now infamous mountain lion stories, so. Right. I, Yeah, I heard about those mountain lions. I heard that there was a, a, a like a family of mountain lions out there. Um, which I'm not surprised because we have like one of the highest amount of mountain lions over there by uh, Prescott area. So I was expecting the possibility of seeing mountain lions out there. So I was really happy to be with some people. <laughs> yeah, I bet I would be too. Speaking of other people, do you want to give a shout out to any of your crew, pacers, sponsors before we wrap things up? Oh, yeah. Um, you mean like squirrels, nut butter? They're awesome. The Squirrels Not Better team. Yeah, another Flagstaff local there. <laughs> right, and Scratch, too. Hashtag Scratch. Um, Neil, of course, my Pacers. All of them. Eric True, Neil Weintribe, um, Kelly Teslink, Colleen Lingley, Janet uh, Bain. Um, hopefully I'm not missing anyone. <laughs> my husband. Oh, man. David Greenwald, of course. Yes. Oh, and uh, Ira, Ira Allen, which is uh, Laura Knoll's husband. He was also crew. So, yes. So awesome. Uh, that was a great crew out there. If you guys, they were so happy to be out there and just the same thing. Just the energy was amazing. And they were hoping for me to have five minute mile uh, splits up there and uh, Mel Eldon. <laughs> and to get out at Mark Versteege, right? Or Mike Versteege, sorry. <laughs> Catch him. Yeah. Next year. Next year, Mike. Come back. Next year. <laughs> yeah, your crews seemed so awesome. We talked with them briefly at the Sedona 8 station at mile 161. They were putting a bunch of sunscreen on you at that point, and they were just cracking jokes. I think they said something like, "You'll be able, they'll be able to see you from space or something with how much sunscreen you add on. Next time, the husband cannot put the sunscreen on. Husband is out. <laughs> he was putting that white sunscreen all over. <laughs> Silly guy. <laughs> he just kept pumping it onto my arm. I'm like, oh, it's enough. <laughs> I'm sure the people on the road when I was running by were not sure what they were seeing. <laughs> white, super white legs. And yeah, that was funny. <laughs> That was exciting, though. That was a good race. I really appreciate it, Jamil, for um, the time that he spent scouting that for the last couple of years. Of course, your guys' commentation was amazing. The YouTube videos that you have on, so Air Vipa, of course, racing. Awesome. You guys are really building an amazing group up there, or down there, I guess. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. And, of course, the runners. Shoot, Maggie was doing, she did great. So did Jesse. She is awesome. Back and forth. How fun is that to go back and forth? So hopefully I'll see those guys out on other trails just because it would be, it's amazing having more people out there, more girls out there to go back and forth with. How fun is that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's been so great to watch the the sport grow and to get more and more uh, runners out there, especially to get more and more ladies in the sport. It's just been incredible to watch it grow and to see more and more people step up to this huge distance of 200 plus mile events. So 
it's definitely an exciting time for ultra running. Yeah, it's good to see all the healthy people out there. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. I do have another shout out. Kathy Dahl. She was at Whiskey Row. She's a girl, a lady I used to work with out there. She was so wild. Their cowboy hat. She was bouncing all over the place uh, when we came into Whiskey Row. She was awesome. What was that? Three in the morning? Yeah, I have it written down like 3.30. She was screaming and bouncing around and jumping like a teenager. She was super cute. She's, yeah, Kathy Dahl. She's been running. She just did her first, like, 33-miler. Oh, nice. So that was cool to hear. <laughs> That's great. That's so great. Cool to hear that she did that. So, Dom, before I let you go, where can our listeners find you online? You have a website or a social media handle you want to shout out? I do. I have the the Instagram. It's the Greenwald Dawn is my Instagram. So, and then on Facebook, I think it's under Don Stone Greenwald, my maiden name and my married name. So yeah, that's that's where I am. I'm hoping to keep posting more amazing Cocodona pictures. I have a bunch of a bunch on a like a Google app I need to figure out how to open. But uh <laughs> all the pictures. Yeah, one of my pacer people are like, Yeah, you need to figure out how to open that. So I'm I'm working on it. <laughs> I'll keep posting more Cocodona 250 pictures and stories just to keep it alive right now. Yeah, and the adventure continues with your first proper 100-miler coming up. So really looking forward to uh, following along on that to see what you do out there at Stagecoach. Yes, I'm excited for that. I can only imagine. I'm like, I can stay asleep. I can stay asleep. I can stay awake the entire race. This is great, 100-miler. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> just a little old 100-miler, no big deal, right? <laughs> Well, Don, thank you so much again for taking the time to speak with us today. It was so great to hear all about your Cocodona 250 experience, and we can't wait to see how you do on the rest of the year, and hopefully we'll see you next year at the second annual Cocodona 250. Yeah, thank you so much, Rob, for the time. For sure, it's been a great experience. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thanks again for tuning in. Everyone here at Steep Life Media and Aravipa Running is constantly working on bringing more content like this to you. So be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss a thing. Also, if you have some time, consider writing us a review. It really does help us out. And if video is your thing, check out our YouTube channels for Aravipa Running, Run Steep Get High, and Mountain Outpost. Lots more to come there as well including the Cocodona 250 documentary, which has been in the works now for a few weeks, and we are excited to release it soon. So stay tuned to our social media channels for updates when that is released. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you on the next episode.